Well, hello, everybody. This is Tim Green with Rattle Magazine. Welcome to Rattlecast number 170. So glad you could join me. Rick Lupert is here. He'll be with us in just a little bit. Uh, but before we begin, I should say that Rattle is a publication of the Rattle Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit working to promote the practice of poetry. We've been in continuous publication since 1995 and are unaffiliated with any other organization. We just just love poetry. I know you do too, so please do click the like button and share. Make sure you subscribe. Anything you can do to help spread poetry around the internet would be much appreciated. Um, so as always, we like to start out with the Poet Respond Poet. We had a powerful poem on Sunday um, by Gina Trenisi, and uh, Gina is right here. So let's um, let's say hi to Gina. Um, hey, Gina. Me. Yeah, thanks so much for being here. Um, it was a really wonderful poem that, that we published. It uh, had so much energy. There were actually a few poems about this topic, um, but this one just had, had so much movement and so much a, a, an interesting frame, too. Do you want to talk a little bit about how uh, the poem came to be? Sure. And I guess um, what it was about, too, because I haven't even said yet. <laughs> So the poem is um, about the Club Q shooting um, that happened uh, recently, targeting specifically LGBTQ plus folks. Um, And the poem came to be actually in part because I was on Instagram, um, like any good millennial white woman, and uh, was watching a video of a comedian who was kind of making fun of this American idea of our obsession with putting things in bowls. And I thought that was hilarious. I thought there was so much um, energy just to that. Um, and I decided to think about what other kinds of American things we could put in bowls and um, what else could be more American than some of the um, the violent rhetoric that we hear on the news every night or um, guns, things like that. So combining those two kind of um, bits of Americanism, I suppose, um, into the poem. Mm-hmm. And, and how, uh, how did the poem kind of be? Like, did you... How long did it take? Because the, the event, um, the, the shooting on in Colorado happened on Sunday last week. So there was a, a good amount of time between. Was it a poem that you were working on throughout the week or did it sort of all come in one rush? That's, that's kind of how it feels like. It feels like a one rush kind of poem. It was the poem where you have to just get out of the way of the poem. Mm-hmm. I, I I almost want to say I had nothing to do with it. Of course, I wrote the piece, right? But that's sort of, I think, what every poet has experienced at least once is that magic of a piece where it's like, all right, just shut yourself down and get out of the way of the poem. Stop trying to force what you're trying to say and just let that poem come out of you. And this, this is what came out in minutes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, let's hear it. This is Lunch Break in America by uh, Gina Trenisi. Lunch Break in America. I'll have a burrito bowl, white rice, black beans, fajita veggies, Double protein, double back. Half scoop of pico, no, I want a bowl of broccoli cheddar. Not an apple, a baguette on the side. I said a bowl of hot sad. I said a Mediterranean bowl, quinoa, chickpeas, cucumber salad. A bowl of overturned stars. Not stars, salmon. I want a poke bowl with upstream fish, white rice, wasabi mayo, a bowl of fixed blade knives, a bowl of billboards for missing women who are becoming dead as we send words back and forth inside this speaker box, this metal order machine, this Tupperware container of my voice. Might be the last thing anyone hears from me. So an order of asada, I said a bowl of bullets, not a cup of guns, a bowl, a howl, a howl of nightclub neon, a tourniquet, a bowl of grandfathers who salute shots fired against tyranny, a tyranny of jello shots, a blue raspberry rifle, 
A stiletto glitter shoe, stomping teeth on beat. No beats, a beating, a bruise. I want to eat a bowl of unbearable. I'll need utensils too. Did you hear me? I said, I want the corner of an American flag to wipe my hungry, bloody, queer, star-spangled mouth. Yeah, great poem. Um, once again, that was uh, Lunch Break in America by Gina Trinisi. And um, and the thing that, too, the, the subtler thing about that poem, I think, is the um, the way that that these kind of stories have become routine, you know, in America. And so it's almost as routine as ordering fast food or something to hear another, another story. Um, was that something that was in your mind too, as you, as you wrote the poem? I think it's the commonality of ordering fast food. I, I think specifically about that idea of a lunch break. I leave my coworker and I don't know if I'm coming back. Mm-hmm. I leave my mom to go to the grocery store. I don't know that I'm coming back. I don't have that reassurance anymore. Um, and that is its own devastation, something as simple as going out for a meal. And we don't know if we're going to return to our families. That's disturbingly American. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for, for finding a way to put that into words and, and sharing the poem with us today, Gina. Thanks, Tim. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Once again, that was Gina Trinisi with a lunch break in America. That was Sunday's poem um, on Poets Respond. Now we're going to take a quick break and go to our main guest. Uh, Rick Lupert is here, so we will uh, just put up a little screen, some bumper music, and I will be right back in just a second with uh, Rick Lupert. Hang tight. And we're back. Thanks so much for your patience. Like I said, today's guest is Rick Lupert. Uh, Rick Lupert is a legend, really, in, in the Los Angeles community. He's been all over the place as long as I've been in L.A., which is almost 20 years now. Um, he's uh, He's been involved himself since 1990. He's a recipient of the 2014 Beyond Baroque Distinguished Service Award for service to the L.A. poetry community. Just so much, so well-deserved. He's also the author of 21 books. Um, and, and they have great titles like Paris, It's the Cheese, and Brendan Constantine is My Kind of Town. Um, his most recent two books are um, I'm Not Writing a Book of Poems in Hawaii and God Wrestler. Well, actually, I think God Wrestler is a little older than that. But uh, but uh, Rick is, is one of those poets who just puts out a lot of really fun books. And uh, a lot of people know who he is. A lot of people know him from the Poetry Superhighway, too, which we'll talk about. Um, there's a great website and great uh, reading series online, too. Um, he lives in Newhall, California with his wife, Addie, son, Jude, and three cats, it says in this bio. But I saw another bio with five cats, so hopefully um, it's an addition, not a subtraction. But here he is, Rick Lupert. Hey, Rick, how you doing? I'm good, thanks, Tim. Uh, the, the bios do fluctuate based on the number of cats, uh, so it's, it's currently at three. Is it? Okay. That is the accurate number, but uh, if it changes over the course of the next hour, I'll let you know. Thanks. I really would appreciate that. We need the cat updates, Rick. Um, do you want to start out uh, with a poem? Sure. Uh, so I've I've got this book um, that I wrote that came out a couple of months ago called I'm Not Writing a Book of Poems in Hawaii. And I thought I would begin with one of, one of the poems from it. Um, this one was written on the way. It's called Uber, parenthetically, or Lyft. I don't remember. One. The fog in the Sepulveda Pass, it's almost as if Los Angeles doesn't want us to leave. Two, who's ready for a lot of commentary about how I'm going to lose my phone in a volcano? Three, our driver used to be our mailman. He still uses that pronoun. 
or at least he was the male person. I'm making adjustments for our new house, which he may know better than us. He likes our hill. He only drives on Tuesdays and sorts mail in Burbank the rest of the week. The way his Prius bobs up and down in the carpool lane makes it almost impossible to document this. Four, everyone's got the same story. I only do this part-time as we leave the freeway at Howard Hughes Parkway or is it Avenue? I need to do my research. People driving from here to there is just a cultural experiment I do to pass the time between sorting the mail and living my best life. That was a Uber or Lyft, I don't remember. And again, from uh, I'm not writing a book of poems in Hawaii. And, and the, the question uh, that, that that poem raises, and, and I've always wanted to know, because you have this, how many books of these have, have vacation books have you done so far? There's a bunch of them. There's a lot of them. I'd started with my first one, Paris, It's the Cheese. Uh, I, I think at the time I'd, I'd had a b- whole bunch of poetry that I'd written. Uh, it was in the early 90s, um, and I, I wasn't sure about how to go about putting together a collection uh, of poems. And then I went to Paris for two weeks, and, and this whole collection just, just was written while there. And it seemed, well, it's it's probably a lot easier just to put out that book of poems uh, in the order that they were written all about that experience than figuring out how to put together a proper anthology. So I've done that. Well, I'm not sure. I actually have 26 books. And I would say most of them are these travel books, uh, at least one a year. I've got a couple regular anthologies. Um, yeah, so I'd I'd have to I'd have to run the numbers to let you know exactly how many travel books. <laughs> For sure, three cats though. Uh-huh. For gotcha, three cats. Um, and so, uh, but what I wanted to know though is, do you actually? I've always wondered. Every time I read one of these books, I'm always wondering if you're actually writing them in the moment because that's how it seems. It seems like you're in the back of an Uber writing poems. I'm or or do you like at the end of the night write them? Or are you writing recollecting uh, if, when you get back from the trip? Uh, when is it that they actually are composed? Is it right in the moment like it feels? It's it's actually right in the moment. That poem was definitely written in the in the Uber. Uh, you know, uh, you can from that line. It's it's almost impossible to document the way the Prius bobs up and down because I'm attempting to to document it. I I use the the Pages app on my iPhone and I I just start writing right right into it as things happen. Um, and it kind of goes back to when I first started writing. I, you know, I would, you know, a lot of my poetry is observational and, you know, humorous sometimes. And I would see these things that I would think were funny and then I'd forget them, you know, I, they, and they'd be lost forever. So I started carrying around a little, little journal and just writing them down thinking, well, at the very least, I, I won't forget these things. So it's, it's, if I, if I do forget them, uh, or if I if I let time go by, I'm not I'm not going to remember. So th- these are just about as on on the spot as as they can be. Though I, I you know the longer ones in the collections tend to be written at night when I'm you know in bed before d- drifting off to sleep, but still there in the middle of the the vacation. Uh, much to my wife's chagrin, who you know for the love of God wishes we could move on to the next room of the museum before I you know. Uh, 
uh, finish what, whatever I thought was essential to write down or type in at exactly that moment. Yeah, yeah that was my next question is how does Addie put up with it? You whipping out your phone, writing poems at every moment of, I mean, this is a, look at this. Uh, I mean, this is a thick book. It's, uh, it's 200 and, and like 25 pages of poems written on a, a five day, was it, trip to Hawaii? <clears throat> no, that was, I'd say that was 10 days. Oh, okay, um, there you but, go. Well, that, that explains it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it is that was an impressive visual though thank you uh, for <laughs> for the side view of the book it's it, she you know she's very patient and sometimes she you know wishes that i wasn't writing and it's frustrating to her and and, and uh uh because you know to, i'm like deeply in this moment uh and and to her sometimes i'm she's not part of the moment and and so i i you know, sometimes while I'm writing, I'll just immediately show it to her or read it to her out loud so that way she can be brought back into our vacation. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, let's hear another one. Um, do you want to read uh, the parenting lessons next? Sure. <clears throat> this is uh, this is one that I wrote. You know, one of the reasons that we're able to go on these vacations, well, actually, in this case, that this won't make any sense. We, we typically drop our kid off at summer camp or to someone who's willing to watch him for a couple of weeks, and uh, then we go on these trips. In this case, it was the end of the pandemic, and um, we we hadn't been on a vacation in a long time. It felt like a long time, and uh, we wanted to do something that felt easy in Hawaii, which we'd never been to, felt like it would be an, an easier place to go to. And we brought Jude with us. Jude is our son. He was... 12 at the time, I believe, and um, uh, this poem actually was written ab- about that, and um, it it also happens to be the poem I wrote for the weekly Torah portion that week. I write a poem every single week for uh, responding to text in the Torah portion, and this is the one that was that one, and it, it doubles, it gets to be in this book too, because, well, you'll see, it's called Parenting Lessons from the Holy One, and it responds to this line of text, do not say to yourself, because of my righteousness, God has brought me to possess this land. We brought our kid to Jewish summer camp two weeks ago. We armed him with all the socks he would need, face masks in his preferred color, and every essential one could need in the wilderness. All we asked was that he write us postcards, even just one, so we had a sense that he was still alive. We wrote him by the system provided every single day, but our trips to the mailbox proved fruitless. We made it so easy, the postcards already stamped and with our address on them. They were tiny too, barely spaced to write three words. He could have just written, I am alive, even sent back a blank postcard, and he could tell us later he thought we were psychic. I would have found that hilarious. But now, less than a week before we pick him up, and we don't even know if he'll still be there, we'll dutifully show up, we'll pile his dirt into our trunk, we'll take him to brunch, We'll take him to goddamned Hawaii. We won't do these things to reward righteous behavior, but because this is what he has been promised. This is our obligation as parents. We would bring him to the wilderness and then carry him back across the river to his promised land. 
This is how the Israelites got across their river, despite decades of complaining and a golden calf, despite rebellions and broken tablets. The parent of all parents would not leave his children in the desert, and neither will we. Now, the parenting lessons from the Holy One. Again, we're reading poems from I'm Not Writing a Book of Poems in Hawaii, uh, the ironically titled uh, collection by uh, Rick Lupert. Um, so Rick, I've always wondered how, um, you know, you got into poetry in the 90s really seriously and have been doing it ever since. Um, how, did it, how did you become a poet? Like why, what, what was it that drew you to poetry? That's a great question. I, I'm i not 100% sure that I knew I was writing poetry when I was writing these little observations in, in these little journals that I would buy. Um, and eventually, sometimes they started getting longer, and I, I, I was kind of wondering what I was doing. And there was, I don't know if you ever got to go there, but there was a place in L.A. called the Iguana Cafe. No, never in did. North, yeah, North Hollywood. Um, the heart of North Hollywood, a little venue, not exactly a coffee house, more of a, a performance space with a, with a cooler of, of drinks that you could get. And a lot of, a lot of different kinds of artists went through there, singer-songwriters, poets, other kinds of people. And I saw in the LA Weekly, which is the local alternative paper, there was a listing for an event there called the Poetry Circle. And the idea was you'd show up, you'd read a poem, and the other folks would would give you feedback, you know, kind kind of like I guess what they do at the Beyond Baroque uh, Wednesday night workshop. Um, though it wasn't labeled as a workshop, so I thought, okay, I'll go to this. I'll I'll read a couple of the things I have in this little handwritten journal, and they'll say, oh no no, that's not poetry, and then I'll know, and then I can move on and do something else. And so I I went and I read a couple of things and they were received really graciously and I got some good feedback too and they made me feel like what I was doing was was legitimate like I this was actually poetry and I was hearing things from them that were more like what I wrote um, in a manner as opposed to what I had in my head that was poetry from what we all learned or learned when we were much younger and learning the class classics and that kind of thing. And so I thought, okay, well, I get, I guess I'm a poet. And uh, I started going to open readings and eventually started hosting one. And, and, you know, I mean, once you, once you self-identify, <laughs> I think that's, there's no going back. Yeah, that's definitely true. Uh, let's hear another one. Okay. Uh, we're on uh, page 59 of I, Am Not, of I Am Not Writing a Book of Poems in Hawaii. This one is called It is Seven in the Morning in Honolulu, Hawaii. If you had told me I'd be awake at seven in the morning without any prompting from electronics or a nudging hand, I would have laughed you into the Pacific Ocean. This is one of the effects of flying the other way, but not so far that you cross the international dateline. I'm not sure if international dateline should be capitalized, but it feels famous enough to deserve it. The time we have, even at this early hour, is limiting our breakfast options, and we're prepared for disappointment. Look how the uneven lines on the right look like a wave that someone is waiting to ride. Poetry is waves, sorry, poetry is water, is waves, is a man teaching surf lessons after feeding our new hall cats. There is a ship at the bottom of the harbor. We will stand on top of it today and remember how it got there. 
It was seven in the morning in Honolulu, Hawaii. Um, so with all these books that you've written um, about places, um, is there a place, is there a vacation that you visited that was your favorite? And then, uh, and then did that end up with a good book because of it? Or was it like the worst vacations make the best books? What is the correlation between um, good vacations and good books? It feels like a scientific question that I might not be qualified to answer. We we haven't had a worst vacation. I have to be honest with you. Uh, uh, we we go to places, uh, famous places, and places we've never been with like hugely wide open eyes uh, and really ready to love whatever that place is on its own terms. And ha- you know, we try to go on a vacation every year, and it's. Uh, we, you know, we've, we've kind of been to all the really famous places. So it's like, well, where can we go? That's going to be cool. And we're going to have a good time. So this last summer, for example, we went to Savannah and Charleston and, and Asheville, which all, which we didn't know anything about, but they turned out to be really great places with lots to do. Um, I have to tell you my, the book of poems I wrote in New Orleans, uh, which is called, uh, Donut Famine. (laughs) I forgot. It's called Donut Famine. Uh, it is a, has a special place in my heart because I I was so in love with New Orleans. I just watched the HBO show Treme, which is all about post Hurricane Katrina, New Orleans, and I I you know it had a big emotional impact on me. And so when I was there, I I felt like I was uh, I don't know that I was, but I felt like I was connecting with people and the places and its history and its music, especially um, in a really big way. And uh, I, I was weeping around every. Oh, look, there's a guy playing the drums, and I just, you know, would just start weeping. And so, um, you know, maybe that one has has an extra emotional oomph to it when when people read it. I, I don't know. And so I imagine that the doing this, having this practice of making books after your vacations or, or during your vacations, as it were, um, um, it, it must make the memories stand out more and make the, the vacation seem more vivid in your head if you're, you're sort of chronicling moments and thoughts and, and things that you notice. That I mean, if I think of my vacations, there there's certain things I remember about each one, but like five maybe, not like 250 worth you know, so um, is that is that part of the the draw to doing this? Is to do they make your vacations more vibrant? Maybe I, you know, it it feels like having done these books so many times. There's also a lot of pressure going into them that that not only is it expected of me, but that I expect it of myself. And so you can imagine going into a two week or, or ten day experience and thinking, oh man, I, there's no way I'm going to get a book out of this. That's sort of the premise of the name of, of the, of I'm not writing a book of poems in Hawaii. It was a shorter trip. It was a trip for the first time that we were bringing our son on. I just thought there's just a recipe for not writing a book, you know? Um, but, um, I don't know. I, I, I don't think it, I, I, I think I enjoy the, the trips. My favorite thing to do is travel and to, to leave my element and to, have the only responsibility being being to make sure that I eat that day. You know, uh, I love being in places where things happened. You know, and and if I happen to write poems there, that's great. Um, it you know, it, it, uh, Elizabeth Iannacci, a poet you may be familiar with, an LA poet. When when she was struggling a few years ago with with a writer's block, we were talking. She just kind of looked at me and said, in sort of a disgusted way. You just document your life. 
<laughs> so, and it made sense to me and I thought, yeah, okay. And so I, you know, rather than necessarily having an, an efficient answer to what you asked, I would at least offer the, uh, this method of writing poems and books to anyone else who's suffering from writer's block. And it's like, well, you know, if you don't know what to write about, how about you just kind of look around, <laughs> you know, or, and, and write about whatever it is that's right there or what just happened to you. And, and you might, you might come up with something. Um, so already people are asking uh, what your next vacation might be. And, and Danny Mass suggests uh, Sunset Beach, North Carolina, best beach ever, he says. Or, and also Calabash, North Carolina. He's really rooting for you to go to North Carolina. Uh, do you have any plans for your next, your next trip? Well, we the last trip, which which the book is now yet, was written in North Carolina and South Carolina and uh, and Georgia. As a matter of fact, it's going to be called the Low Country Schwitz. Uh, and the next trip, we're trying to figure out. We might go to Scotland. Um, I actually have a ticket reserved to Scotland, um, but not one back. <laughs> So, and my wife mentioned to me yesterday that it's important that there's also a return ticket, but, you know, trying to fly on miles and stuff, we we just haven't found the right thing yet. So it's, it could be, the next book definitely will be one written in North Carolina, though we did miss that beach, my, my apologies, um, uh, low country schwitz, and we may go to Scotland this summer, next summer. Yeah, that'd be definitely, looking forward to both of those. Um, let's, uh, let's have another poem. Okay, this is written, this was written, that's all I have to say about it. It's called Hunka Hunka Hilton. Did I tell you this was Elvis Presley's preferred hotel? There's a statue of him and a detailed sign that tells you this is where he stayed. This is a nice full circle of our trip to Memphis two books ago, where we went to his house, which is where he also stayed, like the full circle of being in Pearl Harbor today where our war began after being in Hiroshima one book ago where our war ended. That is uh, Hunka Hunka Hilton uh, from I'm Not Writing a Book of Poems in Hawaii. Um, <clears throat> so so my favorite poems of yours, a lot of the times, are the poems that have, because you use humor so much, and there's a lot of observational type humor, and, and they're just funny poems, but um, a lot of them have a lot of heart and emotion, too, underneath that. Um, so what do you think is that, like, what are you going for with the poems in that regard? Are you, um, is that something that you consciously do, is like using humor to layer in so you can kind of, you kind of sneak up to people with humor and then... Um, hit with some serious stuff sometimes. Is that is that a plan, or do you just do they just come out how they come out? How, what's the writing process like, and and what are you going for? Yeah, they definitely just come out like they come out. I'm often not sure where a poem is going. I, I have tons of poems, especially in these books, that are just you know two or three line observations, and it really was just I thought of a funny thing, and that's really all I wanted to say, and so that's what I. I I write I, Brodigan, who's my favorite poet, and uh, wrote did did that too. I think, and I, I think I learned it from him. He's got a poem in his book, "The Pill Versus the Spring Hill Mine Disaster," which is one of his poetry collections. Uh, the poem title is "Man," and it continues with his hat on. He's about five inches taller than the taxi cab, and that's the whole poem, you know. And and so I thought, man, you can just. There's poetry in what we see in these observations, you know. Um, 
I, I'm, you know, I, the, your observation about the, the through line of something else going on besides the humor is something that people have been telling me for a long time. And so I've, I've started to believe it. And I, I think to some extent, in particular in the poems that I've written for Torah portions, I, you know, I, I try to not leave those as just funny poems. Occasionally they, they come out like that. Um, because I feel if, if, if you're bothering to engage in that text, the idea is what, what can we learn from it? And so I'm, I'm trying to give some kind of inkling of what I'm learning from it. And sometimes that's a, that's an observation that's a struggle. It's, it's putting, you know, these old ideas up against, uh, you know, our modern sensibility. Um, it's, it's, it's linking into events that have, have just happened like, like, Gina's poem, for example, which, you know, I started reading that today and I thought, oh, this is starting out. I didn't know what it was about. This, this is going to be a funny poem. This is amazing. You know, and then she ends by, you know, with with such a a punch in the gut about uh, uh, responding to that event. Um, so, uh, I, I loved it so much and, and was, loved that it took a turn from this, what, what could have been an absurd poem about you know, a, a difficult experience at Chipotle to to uh, this terrible tragedy of an event. Yeah. Um, so you kind of um, asked a little, answered a little bit about something I wanted to ask too, which is um, you mentioned Brodigan is one of your, is your favorite poet. Um, do you do you think of it? Because another thing that I think about your poetry is a reverent, and that's kind of the word that always comes to mind. Because you just seem—I mean, your press that we self-publish these books—it's called Ain't Got No Press, which I'll put on the screen really quick. Oops, upside down. Ain't Got No Press is the press from Poetry Superhighway, and um, there's this kind of like um, you know, you know, screw it all. I'm going to do whatever I want and have fun kind of attitude to to what you put out, and there's no sense of. Um, like ever any kind of sense of like the established mainstream poetry needs to care what I'm doing or, or I have to please anybody with anything I'm doing that that's really central to so much of what you do. Where, where does that come from? And, and is that a conscious perspective that you're putting into it? And, 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 and what other poets are you drawn to too, that, that act that way? Yeah, it's definitely conscious in, in not that I'm trying, you know, for the sake of doing whatever I want. I just, uh, it's, it's more like, well, this is what I want to do. And if it doesn't happen to fit into someone else's rule or whatever, you know, it, uh, I'm so sorry, you know, if, if this doesn't, you know, work for you, but this is, this is what I want to do. And I, I think, you know, I, it, it seems like so many times people are seeking validation and they want to they want to be accepted into a particular group or box or magazine or whatever it is uh, for that validation and to me you know you you part of the, the main reason you should be engaged in any art form is because you love doing that art you know and I it's for me it's so much fun to to write this way, you know, in the last one I read, I'm referring to other books, you know, uh, you know, and well, this was two books ago. And so it's, you know, that's sort of a breaking down of the fourth wall, I guess. And, and it's, you know, why, why not do that? You know, it's just, it's fun. And I, I think if, if, if it can't be fun, if you, if I can't enjoy it, I shouldn't be doing it. And if the ultimate lit- litmus test for my work is it's someone else's validates it, then that's, I'm, I, sh- I shouldn't be doing this. Mm-hmm. You know, 
Yeah. Um, and yeah. other other poets, uh, Brodigan was the first. You know, I think to some extent, this, the comic sensibility comes out from outside of poetry. I, you know, I was a huge Monty Python fan growing up, and, and that's kind of an anything-goes-just ridiculous. Like, So why can't that sensibility be applied to poetry or other kinds of things? Um, and I've, I've always said that my favorite poets are Brendan Constantine and Jeffrey McDaniel, um, in addition to Brodigan. And Brendan in particular is seems to always be reinventing, you know, what's possible in poetry. You know, I think I mentioned in, in that the poem to refer to the right side of the poem where the lines are not even. And he he has a poetry form that he came up with where, you know, like the, the visual, like the way the poem looks. Like imagine the side of a building and you're writing a poem that that, that would go... And that would fit along what you're seeing there, and would you would you have to jump over the window with the line? Would it you know? Would you end it? You know that kind of thing. It just it's so interesting and unusual, and 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 not anything I've seen before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and how? Um, I mean, it, it feels like you've um, cr- everywhere you've gone, you sort of create your own um, stuff. You know, like you you had your own reading series for so long, which was such a great reading series. Then it, the poetry superhighway, your own press. Um, it feels like you're one of the few people who just, just goes out and does your own thing that, that what you want to do when you just do it yourself. Um, has that, has that always been a part of your personality to, uh, to, to leap in and, and make, make things happen? Yeah. Well, you know, the reading I should mention, I took over from someone. I, I hosted it for the Cobalt Cafe reading for almost 21 years. Um, it lives on now. It started up again. It clo- the venue closed in 2014 when the pandemic hit in March of 2020, was it? Or 19? I forget. But it, I started it up as a Zoom series again. But it's, you know, someone else hosted it the first couple years, and I, I just I took it over because it seemed like it would be fun. Uh, when, you know, in terms of self-publishing and putting up my own websites and things, I, I really like just doing the thing without getting stuck on, uh, in a committee, you know, I, like I've, I've had jobs and, and work on projects. I'm a graphic designer, you know, by, by trade. And so, you know, I'll design something for someone and then six other people have to look at it and, you know, and everyone's got, you know, six people looking at it means there's eight opinions that are going to come back and, you know, and it's like, and, so, you know, you lose kind of any investment in it when you're getting all this, well, change that. That needs to be a, a millimeter to the right or else it's terrible, you know. So it's, I, just, I really enjoy just not having a committee to answer to, you know. I really love just doing what I want to do the way I want to do it. Not that I'm not open to, to feedback, you know, or, you know, that when, there's a lot of projects on Poetry Superhighway that happen in, in different ways. And, and some, you know, sometimes someone will say, hey, you know, this affected me in this way, or I couldn't do this. And then I'll, I'll learn from that and say, oh, that's a great idea. We should change that to, to, to do this that way instead. But it's really just not wanting to answer to a committee, I mm-hmm. guess, is the answer there. Yeah. Well, um, if anybody has any questions for uh, Rick Lupert, please leave them in the chat windows, either on Facebook or YouTube. I'm monitoring both. I'm not Twitter, so if you're on Twitter, find uh, find Facebook or YouTube. But let's hear another poem, Rick. Oh, okay. Uh, this one was written for... Uh, we went on a, a circle tour on a bus all day of... Uh, 
around uh, the island of Oahu and we met the tour guide Jack, uh, who t- turns out uh, back in his day he was a slam poet in Hawaii, so we bonded and just started talking about things. Uh, this is called Jack. I met Jack today and so much of Oahu, its hats and blowholes, its shrimp farms and bird sanctuaries, its macadamias and just the heads of its sea turtles. The Pacific and I became one. I saw the valley where the plains first breached the land. I had nuts and coffee and sugarcane. I had fruit, the names of which only my wife could remember. I circled the island with Jack, who told us everything he knew. This was the day that Jack built. Jack of the land. And that was Jack, again, from, uh, I'm not writing a book of poems in Hawaii. Can you tell us about more about the Poetry Superhighway? Because there, there, there's so much that you do with that website. Um, it's almost like a never-ending portal of, of poetry stuff. Um, how did it come to be? And, and did it just, it seems like it grew organically because there's a reading series. It's Monday at uh, 2 p.m. Pacific, I think, right, is your reading? Or, I mean, Sunday, I should say? Uh, once a month on Sundays mm-hmm. at 2 p.m. Pacific yeah. is an, an open reading. Um it started, you know, the day after Al Gore invented the internet, um, I put up my website uh, thinking, okay, well, now it's time to have a website, and I thought I'll put my poetry up there, and and, and that's what it'll be. So I decided to, to name the domain Poetry Superhighway because that's what uh, the vice president was calling the, the internet. The You know, so it seemed so clever at the time, though now it seems a, a little too meta, maybe. I don't know, but uh, we're not changing it. Um, and I realized, it, or I should say it occurred to me uh, early on that the way to get people to keep coming back to a website would, it needs content that changes. You know, if you never change anything, uh, no one, there's no reason for anyone to come back. So I just, I wrote to some friends and I said, Hey, you know, send me your, your poetry website links and I will, I'll, I'll add them to a page on my website. And okay, you know what, why don't everyone send me a poem and I'm going to put up a poet every week. Uh, and, and it turns out people really like opportunities to get their poems published, you know? And so, uh, again, this was just a page on my personal website. So I thought, well, man, I better put up two poets because otherwise I'm just, you know, they're coming in too hot and fast. And, um, I realized quickly that, that this was a whole other thing besides my personal website. So I, I split them off into, into two separate entities. I think that was 97 maybe. And, um, have been publishing two poets uh, online ever since every single day. And, you know, you get ideas, and again, with no committee to vet them, there's no one to say, no, you, you don't need to do that. I think one of the f- first things that I did was a, a poetry contest, and so I thought, well, what, what's going to make this contest different for people, and how about if, if everyone gets a prize instead of just uh, and just uh, the, the winners? So a dollar per poem entry fee, and I reached out to other people, people like you, people people who, individuals, and said, I, can you donate some prizes to this? I want to give something to every single person who enters. So sure enough, I got three different people to judge the contest, and uh, there were winners, and they, they won all the money, uh, but then every single other person got a prize that, that was mailed directly to them from a sponsor. Things like that. We're right in the middle of the ebook free-for-all, 
or if you happen to have a, a poetry, a, a PDF of your of your poetry book, you can submit it. And uh, on December 1st, later this week, all of those are going to be free to download for 24 hours. There's no cost to that. Just for fun, I can keep track of how many times each one was downloaded, and we'll put those numbers up afterwards. That grew out of the Great Poetry Exchange, uh, where which was, you know, the idea was, this thing where everyone gets a prize at the end of the contest is cool. How about we do it without a contest? So you, you just offer to send your book to someone else. And so we collect those over the course of a month. And and at the end of the month, I send people emails. Okay, you send your book to this person. You send your book to this person, etc. And then people would say, oh, well, can I submit my, my e-book? You know, and it, no, no, this is just for physical books. There's something cool about getting a physical book in the, in the mail. And that's how the e-book free-for-all came about. So... You know, I just come up with these ideas. My wife, tell them to my wife. She walks out of the room, and then I just implement it. And uh, and how do you have find the time to do so much stuff? Um, I mean, that's that's something that I always wonder. I've, I've wondered probably since I met you because you, um, you know, you work in graphic design, and then you have all this other these other projects that you do um, constantly. Don't you ever feel burned out from doing it for you know, twenty five plus years? Yeah, I do. I well, you know, so I work from home as a graphic designer. I'm I'm freelance. So there are slow days and not slow days as with anyone who works freelance and so I'm lucky enough to have some free time to 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 do the stuff that I do that's the poetry stuff and I kind of have it down to a system, you know, on on Mondays is when I do the poetry superhighway update for the weekend on uh Tuesdays I host the Cobalt Poets reading at night. On Wednesdays I make the broadside for the Cobalt Poets. I, I publish. I make a poster for the featured poet every week. Uh, on Thursdays I update Haikuniverse. You know, so it's 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 once I've got it in these boxes, it's like okay, if I just do this on this day, it's I'm not. You know, it feels easier to get through all that stuff than 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 oh my god, I've got so much to do. Uh, but to answer your question, today happened to be a super busy work day, and I didn't get to do the Poetry Superhighway update. That doesn't mean it's not going to happen, uh, but it just means, oh no, now now my week feels really busy because I still have to do that, and I didn't get it done today. So usually it's not like that. I can manage to get through stuff, but you know, compartmentalizing mm-hmm. helps a lot. Uh, what's the Haikuniverse? That's that's something I'd never heard of, the Haikuniverse. Hmm. That is that was another fantastic idea I had to um I thought, well, man, what if I I bet I could publish a haiku every single day or a short poem of some kind. That seems easy enough, right? You know? So I thought that up one day and built a website and, and put out a call for submissions and, and they, they came in at haikuniverse.com. It I first I thought the word haikuniverse was really cool and I thought, okay, that's cool enough to have a website, Haikuniverse. So, I, the domain was available, and then there was there was no other, uh, there was no no way back. Um, sim- similar, I I thought up the domain off the beaten plath, um, <laughs> which I registered, but I, uh, maybe a year ago, and then I haven't done anything with that. But maybe someday something's going to happen with with that. But. Yeah, it's really simple. A haiku gets published every day, and there's an email list, and you can you can get it. Actually, a haiku or micro poem, which I say to all the people who uh, get upset when you use the word haiku, uh, and it's not a haiku of, in, by 
a particular definition. Yeah, that, that's the funny thing about haiku is no matter what you publish, someone will tell you it's not a haiku. <laughs> and <laughs> because uh, either they're five seven five or they're not five seven five or uh, they're they're you know just there's there's unlimited problems potentially with a haiku. Um, so well, let's hear another poem. Let's get back to the book. We don't want to forget about reading poems too. Back to the book. This one is called The Olympics Wake Me Up This Morning. The Olympics wake me up this morning. They came to my hotel room and did gymnastics on the bed. I don't know who gave them a key. I recognized the announcer's voice from when he was on the TV. It was a thrill to say the least. Tickets are usually so hard to get. Addie heard and rushed in. She apologized for the commotion as if the Olympics are her fault. Jude stayed in the other room, clearing his throat. It was a little early for me, as I usually don't have the Olympics over before coffee, and they didn't want any. So I faced them towards the window and went to take a shower. Was, uh, the Olympics wake me up this morning. Um, <clears throat> so do you, with all the uh, poetry superhighway stuff, do you have, do you, log how many people participate like do you have a sense of how big because it feels like and in the chat windows people are saying like i've done stuff on the um poetry superhighway and and people know about the haiku universe which i somehow didn't because you do so many stuff do you have a sense of like how big the community that you've built over the last couple decades is Not exactly. I think at one point a number of years ago, I I'd kind of multiplied two times the number of weeks and, you know, and it came up with a rough number. I, you know, I use WordPress to host so I can see how many posts there are. And there's maybe 16, 1700 posts. So and at least two poets per. So, you know, you can kind of run the numbers that way. You get you get a community is something though that the, I mean, a word that is really important to me in in uh, in in any of these activities you know again i think so many of us in my observations i see so many people who seem to be just in it for themselves you know um who who don't and and their own opportunities as opposed to participating in in a community where there are other artists who you can learn from and um, I've said this a bunch of times, you know, whenever anyone asks, but, you know, it's like you're putting on a poetry event and, and someone asks, well, is there an open reading, you know, and if there isn't, you know, you see the look on their face like, oh, well, that's, that's not something I would do, you know, uh, and it's, it, 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 it feels tough to hear that, you know, and it's like, well, do you, do you go to a movie theater and demand to show your own film before you, you know, <laughs> watch the movie is what I like to say in response to that. So I just, it just feels like giving people opportunities to, to interact with each other and to appreciate each other's art is really important. I, and, and it should be really important to individuals as who, who write poetry or do any art. I mean, you can't learn how to, how to do it without seeing how other people do it and deciding whether that's the way you want to do it or not, you know? Mm-hmm. What, what do you think that is? Because that's something I wonder about all the time is that, you know, if you do um, a poetry workshop, the best poetry workshop that has the most people signing up right away, or, or how do I make my poems better, you know, that kind of thing, or how do I get published, you know, those kind of workshops, you know, I, I remember I, there was one, I, I don't know if which festival it was, it was one of the, you know, California-ish 
size poetry festivals. And I remember there were two workshops going on at the same time. And one was a workshop with some really good poet. I can't remember who. I think it was a San Francisco poet. I think it was in San Francisco. And it was sort of like half the room was full. And I kept walking to the next room. And there was like people flowing out of the room. And it was like a how do you, how do you get published workshop. And um, and that's just I just that's just how it is. Um, why, but why do you think that is? Why do you think we you know it's such a self you know self centered kind of mindset for so many people in the in the poetry especially community in a way that maybe it doesn't go along. It doesn't seem to happen that way with um, other art forms even. I, I'm not sure. I, you know, I think that there are people who are, you know, you know, very sure of themselves and their work, and and who, uh, you know, I I I really don't know. I, you know, who think this is so good, I should be able to do this for a living, and so I need all the opportunities I can get to to get my work noticed and out there to reach that eventual goal of being a successful artist. You know, I I think. Um, I think people just want to be successful. I think people want to make it. You know, you you come to Hollywood and you want to get auditions and and be on stage. And if you don't make it, you don't make it. And you're a waiter or have to do something else with your life. So it's you know to some extent that's your dream. And 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 it it's it's competitive. And there's a lot of other people doing it. And 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 you know sometimes that sensibility of wanting to make it and 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 take and find the opportunities can can overshadow the 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 actual act of creating the art like mm-hmm. i said earlier yeah it's strange though because in po- you know if you were wanting to make it as an actor then you're you know you be and you do you become one of the most famous people in the world millions of dollars at your fingertips you know that kind of thing if you make it as a poet I mean, you know, you get invited to some readings at colleges sometimes, and that's about that's about the extent of it. Or maybe they like review one of your books in the New York Times that nobody will read the review, you know. So, so there's so much less at stake as far as um, this poetry goes compared to other things where people are really driven and competitive for. Um, it's such an odd thing. It's almost like the, the lack of of um, rewards makes for even more more competition or something. Yeah, I think you're right. I, you know, it's, I joke all the time about like, you know, the success as a poet, like, like, oh my gosh, someone just bought one of my books. Now I, I can, I can make a down payment on a meal. This, this feels really good. You know, I, Ma- Matthew Mars, the poet said it a long time ago. If you ever make money from poetry, you should buy food with it. That it really is just about the most successful we, we can get, right? The most successful poets uh, 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 or there's like three of them, you know, and they're just, and they've just made it. But, but the, the next level of most successful poets, you, you have to be a teacher. You have to do, do something in order to, to still make a living doing poetry. So I don't know. Yeah. Do, do you think the fact that you work in graphic design and not as a teacher of poetry, and I think you teach music too, right? Um, or have? Um, yeah, I, I work at a synagogue uh, as a music teacher, and and my wife or Addie and I we lead at another synagogue uh, services on Friday nights, mm-hmm. once a month. So, uh, what was the question? I didn't get to the question. The question was: oh. um, do, do you think that because you don't have to teach and don't work in literature, do you feel like you're more fresh, and that's why you have a lot of energy for doing things like Poetry Superhighway and writing a book over the course of a ten day vacation? Um, does, does that keep 
you keep the poetry sort of box pure so that you can have sort of the same love of it as you always did? Is that something that you intentionally do? Like if, if, you, if someone offered you a job teaching at NYU, teaching creative writing poetry, would you take it? Well, that, there are a lot of factors there. How much does it pay? <laughs> would, would it equal my current income? If does my did, family want to move to New York? You know, <laughs> that kind of thing. Uh, that, By the way, that way that I just answered that is kind of like a, a lesson in how I perceive the world. It's very literal, and it's where a lot of my observations come from. Um, I don't know. You know, I've t- anytime anyone's ever asked me to do a workshop, uh, I've, I've done it. I don't know that I'm the best workshop doer, uh, but um, I've enjoyed doing it, and I think and 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 people seem to have enjoyed when when they they've participated in them. For for the most part, they all haven't been you know home runs. Um, I, would I do it for a living? I guess is what you're asking. Um, I I guess. Uh, whether it was a, a, I don't know that it would be a job teaching at NYU, but if there was a way to just do this for a living, whatever that might be, um, that sounds like a dream. You know, I, I'm so lucky to have the work I do in graphic design, and there's a creative component to it, which I really like. Um, it's more interesting than working in a cubicle doing whatever people do in cubicles. Um, but if I could, if I didn't have to do it and, and could just write and do the poetry activities I do, part of which is writing and, and somehow make a living doing that. I I'd absolutely would do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, let's hear uh, another poem. Cause I want to, we have about 10 minutes left. I want to make sure we get the last couple of poems too. Okay. Uh, this one is called while waiting for breakfast. A man touched a leaf coming out of a rain gutter. The Olympics slept like babies. People synced their devices. I learned how to spell synced. Sodas were delivered in bulk. Coffee got uninvented. The Roman Empire fell again. The bathroom key traveled the world. People wrote their names on a list and prayed. Babies were born. Some people chose not to have babies, not before coffee anyway. That is a while waiting for breakfast. Um, as we talked about, I mean, there's a lot of humor in your work. And do, do you find, is there a, is a formula for, for making a poem funny? That's the, one of the things that I've always, we had a humor issue, which you were in, um, and, and that was the hardest issue to actually put together <laughs> because we found that so many poets, like they thought their poems were funny, and then you see them on the page and they're not funny. And there's this sort of thing that happens, I think, um, at poetry readings, where it's sort of this perfect um, situation for humor, because you have all these people that are slightly, you know, it's a it's a crowd of people, so you get the the you know the effect of the crowd, and then you get this sort of silence and this like expectation where we don't know what's going to happen. People are a little like a little worried maybe that they won't understand poetry, which is always a problem with poetry, and so it's like this sort of perfect space to like unleash some humor, but it's so hard to do. Um, you know, it's easy to do in a, in a poetry reading, but it's so hard to do on a page in a book where you're just reading the words. Um, is there a way that you go about translating, you know, humor into just text on a page? It seems like that's such a hard thing for maybe the hardest thing for anybody to do. If you could do it, if you could write poems that made everybody laugh all the time I and mean, people would love poetry a lot more, I think, you know. So, so is there a way that you approach humor uh, for the page? 
gratuitous use of line breaks. <laughs> um, not laughing at your own jokes like I just did. <laughs> um, uh, I think, uh, yeah, I don't know. I think, I, again, like if you, if you're either funny or you're not funny, you know, and, and I consider myself to be a student of comedy. Uh, and that's it, sort of like the curse of being a, a poet. Like you're, you're kind of an imposter in the world, just like observing it and assessing it. And you know, what's wrong with the ex- thing you're experiencing right now. And it's grinding you to the core. And I kind of look at comedy. It, it sort of ruins comedy for me a little bit because I'm, I'm looking at how they're presenting it and, uh, what they're saying. And, you know, the, you know, when did, did they do a callback at the end and, and all this kind of stuff. And it's, it's, it removes me just the tiniest bit from just in enjoying the thing that I'm trying to enjoy. And so I, I don't necessarily, you know, if, if, I guess first comes the, the writing, you know, and if it's a short poem, it's just a, you know, if just the observation and it's a funny observation, then there's not a whole lot of work to do on the page. I just, I, I, I just put it down. And, but, but then in terms of how does it, how does a longer thing work for a page, whether or not it includes humor, I, I think there's something about the way a poem looks. I think, you know, uh, you know, it, does this work with couplets? You know, does it, you know, I, I think you receive the look of a poem before you read any of the words of it. You know, if it looks like a mess, like someone, I was reading some poems for Poetry Superhighway earlier today that, um, you know, the lines were just all kinds of crazy lengths for, for no particular reason, you know, and it, 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 I was, I was like, oh my God, I have to read this. This is, this looks terrible, you know, before I got to any of the words. So, you know, I, I think organizing the way line breaks are and, and seeing if it works in couplets or triplets to me creates, uh, like, an, an interesting look, um, without even the words being considered to, begin with so that's that's probably the most I do to try to fit things on a page not fit things on a page but fit things for a page um and you know then sometimes I'll I'll re because you know I, I write the way I talk or think sometimes and so then I'll, I'll go back and I look at it and go oh well that's maybe more conversational than it needs and the, these words don't need to be in there and is it still funny if this is there and so I, that's 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 the best I glimpse into my process I think I can give you. <laughs> well, it, it seems like voice is key too. And you mentioned that you write the same way you talk and think. And and maybe that's the key to it is to have a, a consistent voice that that presents humor in the way that you present humor and and maybe that's part of the consistency. Um what what do you think um like like what is comedy though? I mean you you say you're a student of humor. Um, so, so what is it? Like, why do we laugh? Like, have you thought about that, about what, what makes something funny? Like, why, if you see something, why is your reaction funny? And, and you mentioned, you know, things being wrong with the world. And a lot of times humor is around things that are wrong. Um, and that sort of, that, that schism between what, what should be and what's not. But, but what is it? Like, what, what is humor? Why do we laugh? Do you have any thoughts on that? That's a great question. I haven't gotten to that class in my uh, humor education where they've covered that but you know i think what you said about the uh, c- comedy that that speaks to you know the truth you know that reveals a truth that we that we that we know to be true that something that's absurd something that isn't the way it should be it 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 you know if presented in a way that makes it seem absurd it it just makes us laugh you know that's i think for comedy that speaks to truth that that probably is what that is but there's also you know just comedy that's 
shock value humor that that you know you're just saying things to be outrageous or or even you know slapstick humor and pratfalls and things that they're just unexpected things that shouldn't be in that situation you know that that are that that it it breaks your your concept of 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 the norm and and that's that's what makes people laugh i think yeah it's just always so interesting to me because there's something about a poem even when it's a serious poem that makes you have an emotional reaction that's very similar to humor and and that sense of both like seeking truth and breaking the norms i think you know brendan constantine who's your your favorite poet and one of mine too he's amazing he talks about um I think in the interview that we did with him, he was talking about how one of the things he does when he can't write is just think about how an alien would see the situation right now. And then he sees the absurdity in it and then runs with that and that becomes a poem. And and, and they're not like necessarily funny poems, though. It's like you, you see an insight and somehow there's just something connected between humor and poetry that I've never been able to figure out in 20 years of, of figuring it out. I mean, do you have any idea what that is? No, <laughs> but I, you know, it's, yeah, I really don't. I, I, what you, what you said that Brendan said in terms of looking at the world as an alien, I, I think it sort of echoes what I just said to some extent. You're seeing things that aren't normal, you know, which is why when I travel, I'm always, everything is kind of absurd. Street signs, uh, uh, the first example I could think of when I went to Travel Town, which is a train museum in, in Griffith Park here in L.A., where there's all these old trains you can get on and look at and stuff. It there's a it, on the stenciled on the back of the trains it says "No humping." Now that's not graffiti. That apparently there's you know there's some method in which trains connect or I don't even know and it's referred to as humping and that's not the right way to do it but here I am an alien you know on planet travel town and and I know what humping is from a different context and and it's like oh my god that you know I brought children to this what what is happening here you know so it's uh, it's just kind of allowing yourself to see the 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 the, the absurd what what's normal to someone else as as an alien, I think is is a great way to put it. Mm-hmm. Um, well, one last question because we have one from the audience that I skipped and missed. Um, so Martha Deed asked about um, um, about graphic design, and she says, "I think Rick's uh, graphic design training informs his poetry." And um, and then she said later, his comments about how the words lay out on the page, some of his observations about his poetry or visual, seems quite striking to me. She says, "So so do you think that that." Uh, what is what does graphic design have to do with poetry? There there's, is a really interesting way too, where if you're, I mean, I don't know much about graphic design, uh, but but there's a way that you're. There's one really great meme that's like you'll read this text first, and then you read this text, and then you read this text, and you'll read this text last. And there's a way that like you know the way that our eyes will move across an image, um, that has to, that that graphic design has to do, and, and how things will be perceived. Is that something that that informs your poetry at all? As, as Martha suggests. Maybe. I, I think there's a sensibility that one has as an artist to create something. And then what you do with that sensibility differs depending on whether you, you choose to take that idea and write a poem with it or make a painting with it or graphically design a flyer with it. You know, I think they all it all comes from the same place. So I, I don't know that one informs the other. I think my artistic sensibility whatever that may be informs all of the things that I create of things that I do in the, in the same 
way. When I, when I first put up a website, it, uh, I, I saw a lot of websites that were very busy. There weren't, weren't a lot of, wasn't a lot of design to, to websites when they first started. People were just putting lots of information. So I wanted mine to look kind of clean. And people said right away, okay, you know, the difference between your website and other people's websites is there's white space. It's pleasing to look at that kind of thing. So you can take that sensibility and, and and get to the you know one of the main definitions of poetry that that I use which is poetry is about the economy of language using as few words as possible to say as as you know to say what you want and so there you go if you've got a poem and it's got you have all these adjectives in it do they need to be there you know did you repeat a word that you didn't need to really repeat because you've already made the point you know i think that's where that sensibility comes from and and that's the same impetus i use if i have to design something for someone uh, a flyer for an event which has nothing to do with poetry i want it to look really clean and striking just by looking at it and you know so often people send you well here's i need these 20,000 details in it or you design it and then they said oh that looks great now add these 20,000 things to it and it's like okay we're going to kind of destroy the uh, the aesthetic a little bit by adding all that but um so to to that extent they i don't know that one informed the other but the idea of things looking sparse and 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 beautiful or clean you know gets uh propagated into whatever it is that i'm doing mm-hmm. yeah yeah good answer um so we have uh Thank you. one more poem you wanted to read and this is from god wrestler which you've talked about so these are um, a poem for every torah portion and um yeah we have the book here and um um, so how did this, before you read it though, how did this book come to be? Why did you start writing um, these poems, which are very different from um, most of your other books? So, you know, I'm very involved in the Jewish community, as in particular as a, as a music person, as someone who learns music from the people who write it and then takes it into different settings to, to sing it and to create holy moments and things like that. And so I, I attend a Jewish music conference every year and I, you know, I would go to the open mic and everyone is performing their songs and I would get up and read my poems, which had nothing to do with being Jewish, really. And people thought they were funny. It was interesting. And then someone said, hey, we're doing this service tomorrow. Do you, do you have a poem about Israel? Do you have a poem about this? And so it was like, no, but I will by tomorrow, you know. And so I would write it and and I found uh, uh, a real niche market or sensibility or, or appreciation of my work in that community. I mean, I, I, you know, if we're looking at success in numbers, I've sold more copies of God Wrestler than any other book of the other 25 that I've written, you know, because there, there's just something about uh, that community that, that appreciates that kind of interpretation. So I thought, well, the, we're supposed to read a Torah portion, you know, the Torah, it's a, it's a scroll, you read it every year, you read one story in it every single week, at the end of the year, you scroll it back up to the beginning and you read the whole thing over. And the idea is, is to figure out, well, when reading this text, what is it that you're reading about the story of Noah's Ark that has something to do with your life today? Why are you bothering to, to read that? And what is it, the idea that you came up with this year about that? How is that different from the one that you came up with last year? You're reading the same exact words. They don't change. So I thought, well, if, if I want to participate in this tradition of reading this text every year and, you know, the, and I write poetry, maybe I could write a poem for every Torah portion every week. 
Um, and then, so I, I kept thinking of that up in the middle of the year. I thought, oh, well, I better not start this until the year starts again. And so I kind of got out of doing it because I kept forgetting to do it. Uh, and then at, at a certain point, whenever this book was written, I, I, I did it and I haven't stopped writing one every week. So the first collection was, was, was put in this book. Um, there's a, several other collections yet to, yet to come out of these. And, um, and I, I started putting them up in this new website, jewishpoetry.net. So if you want to stay tuned with, with that stuff or, or get one in your email every week, that's the place to go. Uh, and that's why I do it, to 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 stake, to participate in this hundreds and hundreds of year old tradition of, of being engaged in this text. Yeah, yeah, very interesting. And how has your conception of that changed over the course of doing it over several years? It's really interesting. Like, like, do you have... How far do the poems stray from one year to another about the same portion? Sometimes they don't stray that far, and I realize I'm writing about the same thing, and I have to kind of go back and write about something else. I, so the the first year I wrote a, a poem after reading the entire Torah portion, and there's seven sections of each Torah portion, so it's a lot. The second year I wrote a haiku if I dare to use that word, uh, resp- you know, responding to uh, to each of the seven sections. So I wrote seven haiku every year. The third year, I there's a whole bunch of other text after the Torah in the Old Testament in the Bible um, that in Hebrew is called the Haftarah that that the rabbis of old connected thematically with um, uh, the with the main Torah text that you're supposed to read. So I wrote a poem responding to to that text. And then I, then I was kind of running out of ideas, so I thought, okay, there's seven sections to each Torah portion. I'm going to start a seven-year project where every week I'm going to write a poem responding to a line of text uh, the first year in the first section. Uh, and then I did that all year, and then the second year I wrote a poem uh, responding to a line of text in the second section. I'm in the fifth year of that now, uh, so two more years, and I'm going to have to come up with another idea. Gotcha. So I guess the short answer is this year I'm writing about different text, you know, and also different things are happening in the world. Very often these poems are responding to news events or connecting with my own life events. So, you know, which is, it's that because that's what's in my head. So I'm trying to, again, if you're trying to figure out what these poems have to do with you, um, if you see a line in a text that reminds you of something in your own life or something in the news, you know, there you go. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, let's hear this. This is uh, um, from from God Wrestler. Yes, this. Um, now, the reason why I picked this poem is because this poem uh, is responding to this coming week's Torah portion. That's also my typically my rule when I'm doing a poetry reading. If I'm going to read from this book and it's part of the tradition, I'm not supposed to be talking about one from five weeks ago or or um, two months from now. Um, even though that maybe that's a more entertaining or funny poem or powerful, that's not the text that we're talking about this week. So the reason I picked this poem is because uh, this is this week's Torah portion, uh, Vayetze. Um, it's the fifth or sixth Torah portion in the first book of 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 the of the Bible of Genesis, um, and it is in two parts. One, it's getting so all. My poems about the Torah read like a J-date ad campaign run by old Uncle Laban. Jacob, two wives and their handmaidens later, and suddenly a baker's dozen of children running around the campground like they own the place. My wife and I had the good sense to stop at one. At least that was my idea, 
she would have gone on forever. But thirteen children in the land of Canaan, can you imagine the diaper situation? We definitely would have used a service. Despite the obvious allure of gifted sheep, Jacob can't shake the feeling there's no place like home, steals away with his family, with our family, with the stealth of billion-dollar technology, sets up shop in the Holy Land where angels meet them like old neighbors bearing fruit. Two, two dreams, old Uncle Laban with the sand of night in his eyes lets Jacob go. Jacob, a stone for a pillow, a ladder to the sky, like we all haven't found construction materials in the desert, wrestles with himself at the cornerstone of a holy land, takes the name Israel, gives it to all of us. That was um, Vayetzi from uh, God Wrestler. Uh, another book by Rick Lupert. Rick, thanks so much for being a guest today. It was so much fun talking to you, um, and really fun reading these books, um, especially the, uh, the the other book, um, I Am Not Writing a Book of Poems in Hawaii. Uh, looking forward to all the other uh, vacation poem books coming up. Um, but it's been really fun talking to you. Thanks so much for being a guest. Thanks for having me. Yeah, my pleasure. Talk to you soon. Yeah, that was Rick Lupert. Uh, once again, you can find Rick's work at... Uh, poetrysuperhighway.com that's poetrysuperhighway.com just like it sounds so go up there there's so many things going on like he said there's the uh, ebook exchange going on right now there's the uh, contest that they do there's um, um, just all sorts of things daily poems or, or weekly poems um, and all the other stuff that you mentioned there's so much that you can find um, through the portal at the high, po- poetrysuperhighway.com um, so do check it out if you would if you haven't yet but you probably already have um, but visit there regularly now, we're going to take a quick break and go to the open lines. Um, we have a special guest, too. Um, Margaret um, Malakleb is here, the uh, um, Ekphrastic Challenge poet from Thursday. So we'll talk a little bit about the Ekphrastic Challenge poem that we published then. It was the artist's choice. And um, she'll talk about her um, how the poem came to be. And she has, I think, a, a prompt or something interesting for us as well. So we're going to do that and then the open lines. But get the open lines ready right now. So how you do that is you uh, first email your poem to open mic. That's open M-I-C at rattle.com. Uh, Then find the Zoom link, which I'm about to deploy, and join us on the Zoom call. Um, Only if you'd like to share poems, though. So if you'd like to share poems, um, I will put the Zoom link in the chat windows on Facebook and YouTube. You can come over here. If you just want to listen and enjoy the poems, the best place to do is stay right where you are, because that's where you can read along as we go. But do email your poems right now to openmic, that's openmic at rattle.com, and then join us on the Zoom if you'd like to share a poem, or maybe two, depending on how many people we have today. Um... So I take a quick break, and I will be right back with more poetry. And we're back. Thanks for your patience. Like I said, we have a special guest uh, tonight, which is something I've been meaning to do and wanted to do um, more more often. Um, but I keep forgetting to invite the Ekphrastic Challenge poets on the show. Um, I think it's because the Ekphrastic the Challenge poems we usually publish on Thursday, and by the time it rolls around, I forget about them for Monday. But um, we have Margaret uh, Malaklev here. Hey, Margaret, how you doing? Great. How are you, Tim? I'm great. It's so glad. I'm so glad to have you here. Um, and so this poem, uh, let me put the art up for everybody to, to see. 
This was the artwork for this month. It was actually the month of October, so it was the November winner for October, which is always a little confusing with the Ekphrastic Challenge. Um, but this is a Ballet Above the Bay by um, Rene Bonin. And, um, and, and your poem was Fault Lines, um, which was inspired by this painting. So, so can you tell us how, how did you approach it? Like, what was your, what was your thought when you, um, when you saw this painting? And, and how did you know where to go with your poem? Well, I started becoming interested in ekphrastic poems probably about a year ago. Um, I read some really interesting poems by um, Monica Yoon and Paula Bohins and Lauren Camp. And in their collections, they kind of wove ekphrastics into a near, their narrative arc. And I thought it was just an, an, inter, an interesting way to provide a compliment or a juxtaposition to a narrative Arc. So I started experimenting with that and looking at the rattle ekphrastic poems and finding so many different interpretations. So um, when I looked at the image, uh, Renee's painting, uh, it just brought up a lot of questions. I found it very evocative and mysterious. And, I, you know, I wondered, well, who are these two figures? What is the relation to each other? Are they coming together? Are they pulling apart from each other? Um, it looked like they were either embarking on something, an experience or a journey, or maybe coming to an end. And why were they in this landscape? So it just kind of brought up all these questions. And, um, you know, I kind of stepped away from it. A few days later, I was going through a file that I have of different words and images and you know, lines, kind of beginnings for poems. And I came across this line that I had written about a week before uh, it was um, a palette of uh, a palette of devotions, darker questions, and that kind of put me in mind of Renee's painting. So I went back to the image and I thought, well, it's not a palette. What if it were a terrain of devotions, darker questions, and maybe that's what this couple is kind of grappling with. So I kind of put that at the heart of the painting and used my line as the first couple of lines and the rest of the poem just kind of came from there. Yeah, excellent. Well, let's hear the poem. Why don't you go ahead and read it and I will put that on the screen so people can read along. Fault lines. To negotiate the terrain of devotion's darker questions, we set out in search of knowledge buried inside the mountain. Together, we climbed the treacherous path littered with thistle, bindweed, cheatgrass, held out our hands to pull each other up to the next outcropping. And as we tended our hunger, our thirst, our need for rest, the mountain watched, held its breath, and waited for us to look down and see that the unwritten history inside every living thing is a borderless boundary that can never be breached. Yeah, excellent. That was Fault Lines, again, by Margaret um, Malakleb. Um, and, and Margaret, you sent something too that you'd like to uh, share with us, and I, I just got it, you know, a little bit before the show, so I wasn't sure exactly what it is. But can you explain what uh, this Ars Poetica was that you sent, and, and the prompt you were thinking about? Well, the prompt for this week is to write a poem um, inspired by one of your favorite poets. Mm -hmm. And I have to admit, I kind of cheated because this is a poem I had written before, but I thought maybe I would share it. Um, one of my favorite poets is. 
Sophie Cabot Black. As a matter of fact, she's one of the poets that really kind of got me interested in poetry back in the 1990s. And I find her work very um, elegant and kind of quietly profound. She has a unique way to use syntax. And um, her poems just always give me a lot of food for thought. Um, there's kind of a, a quiet, um, investigation, inquiry into um, a lot of big questions. And there's always so much mystery. You, it's hard to tell exactly um, exactly what the situation is that she's uh, kind of talking about in her poems. But this poem, um, Ars Poetica, that I wrote is kind of, it's based on an Ars Poetica of hers. Oh, okay. uh, her poem is called Already Broken. And I included a link to it and, and her poem as well. Um, do, you, do you want to read both? Do you want to read Already Broken and then your uh, response to it? Sure, I'd be happy to. Yeah, that'd be great. So here's Sophie Cabot Black's poem, Already Broken. You must write as if all along a flaw was on the bone, one place not quite right. Begin the story as if you knew the horse is weak, delicate, rune about to happen. Walk the road backward, thick with trees, out through to pasture, where the bucket hangs ready to fill, the truck cold, the doctor still asleep, your knees without mud, the handbook high upon the shelf, the needle as it waits for the question not yet asked, morning untrampled as a room we'd never entered, or entered and were not seen, entered and then forgiven entered never moved again oh, excellent that's great i never i'm not familiar with uh with uh, sophie cabot black that's very cool so, so glad to look a poem for me to look up later for sure um, yeah she she's written only three books of poems she um her books come out once every 10 years and her last book called the exchange came out in 2013 so i'm hoping that she'll have another book out um maybe next year yeah sounds good that was what i was hoping for this prompt was that there'd be i mean there's so many poets in the world and even being completely immersed in poetry there's every day almost i'm finding new poets that i didn't know are great and they're, and they're great um anyway let's hear your uh, response to that. this is ours poetica Ars Poetica, you could not walk the narrow line of language, decipher the unknowable narrative without unearthing the stones. It's displacement, the way the husk of bone ache surrenders to tenderness. Observe without anger each shortcoming. Dip your pen into the well again and again until the depths answer back, until you reach the next question pulled up and held fast in your hand, a rope knotted in slender curves of uncertainty, the self a syncopation in a minor key, smoothed into a modulation of blue, a ragged score ground down to earth and clay. Yeah, excellent poem. That was Ars Poetica. Um, thanks so much for sharing all your work. I, I, so I understand now what you were talking about in the email, and I'm so glad you could share a prompt poem too. Um, yeah, thanks for uh, for doing the ecphrastic poem and then for, for the prompt, too. I really appreciate it, Margaret. Great to have you here. Well, thank you. It was my pleasure. Yeah, thanks a lot. Yeah, and that was, uh, uh, once again, that was Margaret Mellicleb, who um, had the fault lines, the poem from Thursday's ecphrastic challenge, and then um, and a prompt poem, too. So very cool. And it, as, uh, as she mentioned, the prompt for this week was to, um, I'll put it on screen, it was to write a... Um, 
poem inspired by your favorite poet. So um, that is the uh, there was a prompt for this week, and here is my poem. So my poem, um, <clears throat> I had a, a, an occasional poem. Um, I, I was writing a poem for an occasion, and I think poets should write be able to write poems for an occasion. Uh, I'm not gonna. I don't want to say because it's a surprise. The the who it's for is not gonna be watching the show, so it doesn't really matter. But I don't want to give any more details than that. But um, instead of doing my favorite poet, which I, I found it impossible to think of, like, who is my favorite poet? There's so many amazing poets that I love. I can't single one out, I don't think. Um, but this is uh, the person who the poem was written for, his favorite poet, um, inspiring this poem. So here's my poem for this week. This is um, Sonnet from the Back Seat, and for uh, blank, but we'll, we'll reveal that later, maybe. But here's my Sonnet from the Back Seat. I'll always think of you as gliding in and out of traffic on the 101 Another L.A. sunset sliding into view. We are on our way to something fun, a play it must have been. A cell phone wire is dangling from your ear and someone needs to be consoled. It's clearly nothing dire, but still you care. Your love for all exceeds the bounds of any car, is more pervasive than the smoggy air. I know, for I have been the one to call when there was no one else to call. And so I know the grace of knowing you. Still it seems the more I've come to see, the more there is to know. There's my sonnet from the back seat, written kind of in the style of um, um, Elizabeth Browning, um, sonnets from the Portuguese. Um, that is my sonnet from the back seat. So that was my prompt poem for this week. Let's see what you have for us. And um, I mean, I think we have 13 people on the line right now. One of them already read. I think we're just going to have time for one poem each. So let's just do one poem each today. Pick your favorite poem if you sent two. Let's go to Sharon Ferrante. Hey. Hey, Sharon. How you doing? I'm doing good. Oh, I love Rick. Thank you for that interview. Yeah. He's Thank a- you both. <laughs> he's so much fun. He is. He- he's a SoCal treasure. I'm glad that we could share him with the uh, the rest of the world, too. Um, yeah. yeah. He's a jam. He's a jam. I love him. Do you do I the poetry? The Hawaii, but- do you do his stuff at the Poetry Superhighway? Have you participated in that I've, before? I've watched it. I've watched but I'm too chicken to go on air. <laughs> but I, and I got I got one of his books, the Hawaii book, and it was just so much fun oh, from the great. beginning to the end. Yeah, <laughs> as I'm a great fan. Thank you. Rick's telling you in the chat right now to be brave and join. So do that yeah. next time. <laughs> oh, he was great. I love him. And I also love Brendan Constantine. Mm-hmm. And so I wrote the prompt poem inspired by him excellent yeah um uh, yeah all his poems like rolling around in my head so here we go holding pretty paper i want to walk with ghosts warn them about curling leaves that tangle ankles any ankle then gift a train ride let them sing There is always someone singing on a train while it trails the warm air that melts their madrigal into the river that takes them. As I offer a seat beside the glass where they can see their old face again, they listen to whispers from a book piled high with dust, secrets from a moth. I am most welcome beside the louder shout of a candle to fight the leaves around my ankles 
finish the last thing I wanted to write a poem for you. Oh, that's great. Love the ending, especially Sharon. So I'm going to ask probably everybody this, but what is it about Brendan that, that you makes him your favorite poet? Because I, I mean, he's one of my favorite poets too. Uh, but, and we talked about I, it. And, and of course, Rick has the, um, Brendan Constantine is my kind of town is one of his books. Um, I, I, I don't know. Really. I, it's very hard to explain. It's just that um, he makes my head spin, you know, yeah. like, and um, I love his style, the way he writes, where I wrote that tangles ankles, any ankle. Like he always has this something extra that makes it kind of brilliant and funny. You know, like, he, I don't, I, that, that's, that's the only way I can explain it. Well, that's a good explanation, that, yeah. In his book, um, um, the, the 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 one I had what I can now I can't even remember because I just it's adore him the ghost magical that's really got me going and then latitude forty two like all his poems are just so just so different and I love different mm -hmm. so Excellent. that that's yeah. yeah. He's just a great writer. He definitely he is. is. Yeah, he's one of those poets oh. that, yeah, he, I mean, oh. he he should be in the upper levels of, of who everybody considers when they think about great poets in the United States, I think. So uh, yeah. I think he's getting to that place a little more and more every year, which is really cool to see, too. Yes. And his performance, too, which, you know, I'm not that good at. But, oh, you're but great, no, Sharon. Yeah. You're great. I love, love <laughs> Brendan Constantine. Uh, yeah, yeah, me too. Well, anyway, thanks for sharing that, Sharon. It's great talking to you and, and great reading your poem. Thank you. Great show. Thanks. Thank you. That was uh, Sharon Fronte with uh, Holding Pretty Paper, inspired by Brendan Constantine. Let's go next to uh, Karen Marker. <clears throat> Hello. Hey, Karen. How Hi. are you doing? Hi. Good. I, I just love this show tonight. I did not know Rick, mm -hmm. and it's just amazing. It opens up a whole new world for me. It really does. Like, it's its own, it's its own universe. Uh, a haiku, it is. Kuaverse is not even enough. Right. It's a, it's a it's super a, highway of poetry. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, it, by, by chance, it turns out I have been writing a lot about travel myself. And I also spent a lot of time in New Orleans writing about New Orleans. And I just got back from uh, Morocco and Portugal. And I've been writing a lot about them. And I think given the that he's here tonight. Um, instead of reading my Respond to the News, which was a, my attempt at a guzzle, guzzle, guzzle about um, the Club Q mm -hmm. murder, I am instead going to read my poem that's called The Artist of Lisbona Lindeza. Perfect. Lindeza. Yeah. yeah, let's hear it. <laughs> I don't speak Portuguese. I want to live in a city like this with poets' words inscribed on walls where artists turn verses into paintings, and I meet a writer I'd never have known. People passing by read her every day. I want to live in her city, rich with light and water, with colored tiles on churches and houses, where twisted alleys end with sculpted, sculptured poets in the center square. I went to live in a city where every street goes up and home means there's no space between you and the sky. 
where strangers touch you, but it's not strange because we're all moving in the same direction. We'll all be swallowed like the Tagus River into the sea. Everyone knows someone who hasn't come back. The words of the Fado songs, laundry put out as a sail. I want to live in this city where you can't forget what matters, like the child wearing a t-shirt that says, my mama wants me to grow up to be an artist because there's a pantheon for artists because everyone knows they make the world more beautiful and true. Oh, that was wonderful. Thanks so much for sharing that, Karen. That was uh, an artist, uh, the artist of Lisbona, Lindeza. Were you projecting that or no? It has pictures with it at the end. Oh, <laughs> yeah, let's show the pictures. If you projected the it, page. Yeah. Are there are pictures that go, I've been putting pictures to my poem. Excellent, there you go. Yeah, Sophia, um, Dan Melo, Brenner, um, that, yeah, Anderson, that's yeah. Word. And then, uh, yeah, these are great. Yeah, thanks so much for sharing these. <laughs> great. Yeah, very good. Thanks so much, Karen, for joining and, and sharing that poem. Yeah, yeah, great poem by Karen Marker. Um, let's go. Let's go back to Danny. Ma well, let me see. Let me make sure Danny Mass sent this stuff. Oh, not here yet. Let's go to. Um, let's go to Carla Schwartz. Hello. Hey, Carla. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing well, thank you, and I'm really happy to be here. And um, I didn't. I have two poems that sort of respond to the prompt that I took, and I took one that is actually in my new book called Signs of Marriage. The first one of the two that I sent you. It's a very short poem. Let's do both because they are they aren't they aren't very long. Let's do both poems. Okay. So this first one is in the book Signs of Marriage and it was also in the Triggerfish Critical Review a long time ago. And um it's called On Seeking Forgiveness After Simic. And there are two lines from different Simic poems that appear in here. Um or inspire the poem, really. So they don't appear. So the lines from Simic are incurable romantics marrying eternal grumblers. And also, the more innocent you believe you are, the harder it'll be for you. And so this is my poem on seeking forgiveness after Simic. It turns out you're the grumbler. I'm the romantic. But then I grumble back defending my innocence until I find myself wed to difficulty. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, thanks for Is the other poem about Simic too? No. Ah, the okay. other one is inspired by Simborska. Okay, so really quickly, what is it that you love about Simic? Um, you know, he, he's just, um, his language, and again, will I say favorite poem, poet? I don't have a favorite poet, you know, but he's, he really, I think, has a way with words, mm -hmm. you know, and language, and that's what I am attracted to. Gotcha. And then let's do the next one, too. Okay. So this is inspired by Zimborska, um, and she writes very plainly, um, and this poem that she has, which is called Possibilities, is um, very repetitive, and she basically says, I prefer this, I prefer that, I prefer that. Okay, and so this is uh, after her, it's called, I Prefer to Leave Early. It's what my father said daily for two years. Until then, I prefer to stay inside where it's warm in my chair. Until then, I prefer to sit here and watch TV. Until then, I prefer to speak to my daughter on video. 
Sometimes I let her coax me to sing. I prefer not to sing. I prefer to rest. I prefer to close my eyes. I prefer not to eat anymore, not even smoke salmon and cream cheese. And when that day arrives, and that day can't come too soon, I prefer to go to sleep and never wake again. Oh, that's a beautiful poem. Yeah, thanks so much for sharing that, Carla. I prefer oh, to thank you. Yeah, yeah, I like that Thank you so much. All right. Uh, thank you for everything. And yeah. um, what a fantastic night. Always my pleasure. Yeah. Thanks, Carla. Have a great night. Yep. yep. That was Carla Schwartz with uh, I Prefer to Leave Early and a short poem on seeking forgiveness after Simic. So um, let's go next to, um, let's see. Let's go to uh, Richard Westheimer next. Or Dick Westheimer, I should say, because I know you're publishing just under Dick now, which is a change. Um, hey, Dick, how no, you doing? I'm doing great. Yeah, I decided... That's what I've been called all my life. I can't. I can't avoid. I can't avoid it. Do we have you as Richard or Dick in the poems we published? Um, I am not sure. Yeah. Well, I'll go. But, if it is, I'll change it back because it's very easy uh, to do. Okay. Okay. So, what do you um, what do you have that you like to share though? I think I'll do my poets respond poem. I have I have a um, a Maxine Kuhlman poem who I I just love love her poetry, but yeah, me both too. are long. Mm-hmm. So um, I'll, I'll I'll do the poets respond. Poem. Okay, and so what was this about? It was it was Club Q. Mm-hmm. Uh, was I, I will say that's the news article that it was about. It was a really interesting uh, phenomena for me in writing it. In that, um, I wrote down the line, um, um, "I don't go to gay bars" as the first line, and then I remembered I did, mm. and then it sort of scared up. Uh, some some memories from the early 70s, which uh, were really wonderful. And I rekindled some friendships from that period. And uh, so it was, a, it was a bittersweet experience. Very cool. Well, let's hear it. This is a Club Q, Me and Steve. I don't go to gay bars, any bars, really, except that time I went up to the corner dive. It had snowed three feet and I was out of smokes. The road was unplowed, so I walked a mile there and back. It was five below. I'd blown through my last cig, even salvaged stubbed out butts from the trash. So I trudged up to the hut, got a few stale packs of luckies from the vending machine, and then bugged out. Even in a blizzard, that place was full of biker dudes, their colors stitched into their leathers, their arms tattooed. Hippie me was not going to hang around. Oh, and I've been to a gay bar, too, back in 72 in NYC. My college buddy Steve wanted to show me the scene. He was the only gay guy I knew, and our little, little college town was not at all down with the life he knew. Steve guided me around the East Village streets till we came to the place. We walked in, and he transformed into a queen, like he'd returned home after his own odyssey. The hugs were loud and too much for me. The kisses wet, and when he sat, he was so relaxed. A whole semester of holding himself straight let loose as he sagged into the tattered couch at the back of the tinsel room. Guys petted him and crooned like he was a lost pet come home. 
it was like, it's like the whole time I knew him, he'd been trudging like I did years later, hip deep in snow. I cried. He knew why. I was seeing him whole, seeing his eyes light, his laugh, his laugh lose the saw-toothed edge I'd come accustomed to. It was 70, 1972, and there were few places a guy like Steve could go. And now it's 2022, and I sit at home, not craving a smoke. It doesn't snow much around here anymore. The hut is gone. Steve is gone. Died in just one of the many horrible ways you might come to expect. And one more place he could have called home is just today visited by gunfire and blood. Yeah, great poem as always, Dick. That was a, that was a Club Q, Me and Steve. Um, and just powerful poems. You always write great memory, too, to share. Thanks for sharing that, Dick. Uh, thank you. And just a note on Steve, what wasn't his name. Uh, he died uh, in 82 of, of AIDS. Oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. Yeah, that's too bad. Early. Early yeah, very the, the beginning of it, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. yeah. Well, thanks a lot. Appreciate yeah, it. yeah. Sorry to hear that, but thanks for sharing the poem, Dick. It's great. Thanks. It's yeah, so Dick Westheimer with Club Q, Me, and Steve. Let's go next um, to, let's go back and, uh, where is it here? Yeah, let's uh, unmute Danny Mask. I have the poem here, Danny. Um, but you have to read it from your screen, though, too. So just to, so you know. So, um, all right. Yeah, there you go. Hey, Danny. Yeah. So, so what was this poem about? Tell us what it was about at first. Well, simply, it was about a barbecue that I went to, and um, where I live, there are a lot of lizards. <laughs> so, so it was really about the lizard jumping across the por- the pulled pork. I mean, it's simple as that. And uh, I got the uh, the swimmer, uh, Mike. Was it Phelps? Um, what's Michael Phelps? Mm-hmm. He came across because the, the the lizards are sort of going like had their arms going real wide, and I came up came up with the idea of Michael Phelps. I said I got to figure that one out, <laughs> and so that's really how it came about. Well, that's great. <laughs> Let's hear this poem. Uh, I mean, it didn't happen. I mean, it didn't it didn't come about while I was at the barbecue. It came about when I got home and started to figure it out. Excellent. Very fun. Well, let's hear it. All right. Uh, let's, well, hold on. Let me see. How do I do this? Uh, you can open okay. up your email and read it from there or just open up your... Can you Can you still see me? Yeah, I can see you perfectly. Yep. Oh, good. See, I can't see you now, but I can read the poem. You ready? Yep. Don't worry about it. Yep. Go ahead. <clears throat> Take for an example this common lizard. Some see a flash of green dart over the table. Others hear laughter and the shrieks of children. But I see something as small as this, like an Olympic swimmer for the last time, sweeping the air between their feet and pulled pork going for the gold at the Veterans Day barbecue. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. Great poem, Danny. And I do, I really like your style of putting the title at the end. I have to say, I was resistant to it at first. I thought, I, I do know we really you have to do this? But I actually kind of like the title at the end. So uh, it, it adds an extra, it's almost like haiku-ish. You know, it, it makes the title something different. Doesn't it work with the poem, though? It does. Yeah, it really does. Thanks so much for sharing that, Danny. Always a pleasure. Oh, you're the best. Thanks, yeah, buddy. Thanks you are, buddy. Thanks. There's a Danny Mask with a, at the Veterans Day Barbecue. Um, and let's go. We got a lot of people still on the lines. So let's go to Angela Gartner next. <clears throat> Hi, Tim. Hey, Angela. How are you doing tonight? <laughs> Good. 
It's it's been a crazy month already. So yeah, tell me about <laughs> it's it. It's almost over. <laughs> yeah, thank God. I can't wait for December. That's for sure. Um, so, what do you have that you'd like to share? Um. Oh, but and I was gonna. I guess I'll share like the first one. I know it's kind of old. It's it's funny. I feel like the only time I've been writing lately is for poets respond and because i've been so busy like we had a wave of sickness going through our yeah, house everywhere in then... the country at least probably the world it's it's every everybody i talk to i keep talking to people in like other states and they're all uh everybody's sick everywhere i think right now yeah so and then you know with my class i'm teaching and it's just like but i still manage like throughout the week this i i feel like i'm kind of obsessive about it i'm like i have to write a poem a week and and a lot of like the last month, I feel like it's more like more for me rather than for really you. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good though. It's good to write poems for ourselves. That's great. So, uh, and, and if you want to do the second one too, they're they're both really short. The first two. Yeah, because I was, you know, I I listened late last week, and I I was like, wow, like Courtney Campa and uh, and I and it like her death is still kind of a mystery in a sense. Um, you know, you hear like, you know, it was an accident. And then it said that she uh, passed away in her sleep. And it just, you know, it, it, I was so taken with her on the rattle cast. Like, you know, she was essentially what I wanted to do, like when I was younger mm -hmm. and she just had this really like bright light. And I was just like, I, I, I felt so sad all that, all, you know, like, that's why I kind of wrote about her. Cause I was just kind of felt sad. Like, you know, someone like her, you know, it was, it was kind of unexpected and you, she was so memorable mm -hmm. and her poems were amazing. And her story was amazing. I just, you know, I, I was, I was kind of looking her up, like, you know, like and getting more information about what happened, but it's, I, um, it definitely is a sad Thing that you know that she passed away yeah i mean like i said i think i've gotten a lot of you know emails in the morning where it's like you know this poet died or this poet died it's happened all the time over 20 years but but that was one that was a real shock it was just very very sad let's let's since you introduced that one let's read that poem first and then we'll read the other one too okay And I mean, she's so good. I, I I just put this together. So like, this isn't even in her realm, really. But um, it's, you know, I was just thinking of like, you know, she kind of embodied what I wanted to do when I started writing. You know, it's like she did it all that. And just anyway, um, Too Short Life for Courtney Campa. I dreamed of the big city living in an apartment, typing away in the dark, the papers in the wind to find rhymes of light until the dawn comes. I send it off to be found, the girl with red lipstick, young ink spot on the cement. Yeah, great little poem. Thanks so much for sharing that. Yeah, definitely too short a life. And then the other one, uh, When Earth Gets in the Way, this was the Poets Respond poem you were talking about. So so really quickly, what was the uh, what inspired this one? It was the eclipse that happened that I always miss. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I always miss the eclipse for some reason. And um, and I was just thinking about the fall season and how looking at my tree through the through the moon and it being kind of like the blood moon. But like, you know, just kind of it kind of encompassed it all like the mm -hmm. fall 
the lunar eclipse. I mean, that's, you know, happens usually in November, but I always end up missing and always end up seeing it like at the end, <laughs> like when it's like already passed, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Yeah. Hey, well, let's hear this. When earth gets in the way. It's the days where chameleon leaves fall from their trees. Skinny branches hang in the dark. A fall haze has hidden pieces of a moon dipped in copper. The wispy shadows didn't clear. The lunar eclipse finished like a cloth after it's washed. Three years until the next show. I wonder how the sky will breathe. Yeah, excellent. Thanks. A great reminder, too, to really set an alarm or something. Maybe we'll both catch him next time. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Well, and I wondered what the sky will look like in, in three years. What what will we be looking at, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. as far as in, down on Earth? So yeah, For sure. Well, thanks for sharing that. Excellent as always, Angela. Always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. Have yeah. a great night. You too. Thank you. It's Angela Gardner with two poems. Um, next, let's go to, um, let's go to uh, Julian Matthews next. Hi, Tim. Hey, Julian. How you doing? I'm good. Uh, thanks for that. Uh, I attend uh, Rick Lupert's Cobalt Poets almost every week, and it's always fun, and he's such a great host. Yeah, he really is. I, I do. I said last time, I think on the critique, but I wish I was as good a host as Rick is, because he's, he's a great host, um, and he's always been a great host every since I met him. So um, let me try to find your poem. Here it is. Okay. So uh, what what is it that you'd like to share? Um, I'm just uh, responding to Mary Oliver's How I Go Into the Woods with My Own. Should I read hers as well? Before um, yeah, that's short. Why don't we? Yeah, go ahead. I think it'd be good to uh, set that up. Yeah. Okay. So this is Mary Oliver's How I Go Into the Woods. Ordinarily, I go to the woods alone with not a single friend, for they are all smilers and talkers and therefore unsuitable. I don't really want to be witnessed talking to the catbirds or hugging the old black oak tree. I have my ways of praying, as you no doubt have yours. Besides, when I'm alone, I can become invisible. I can sit on the top of a dune as motionless as an uprise of weeds until the foxes run by unconcerned. I can hear the almost unbearable sound of the roses singing. If you've ever gone to the woods with me, I must love you very much. And that was How I Go Into the Woods by Mary Oliver. And then let's hear your response, Julian. How I Go Into the City. Sometimes I go to the city alone with not a single friend, for they are all whiners and egotistical saps and therefore insufferable. I don't really want to be seen by them talking to the migrants or hugging the homeless. I have my way of gravitating to the needy as you no doubt have yours. Besides, when I'm alone and it's dark, I can become visible to no one. I can sit at a bus stop or on a curb outside a 7-Eleven, unobtrusive as a starling on a wire, while passers-by run to catch the last train, ignoring me. I can almost bear the unbearable sound of the traffic light screaming, go, caution, stop, stop, stop. If you've ever gone to the city with me, wait, it will never happen. Oh, that was great. As always, great poem, Julian. How I Go Into the City, Julian Matthews. Thanks. Thanks for joining us. Always a pleasure, Julian. Thank you. Yeah. Um, let's go next to try to roll a little quickly. We still got a bunch of people on the line here. Let's go to Jennifer Elise Wang next. Hey, Tim. 
Hey, Jennifer, how are you doing today? I'm good. So uh, I sent you two, but I'll do one because my uh, my one that's based on my favorite poet, Perseus Shelley, oh, is <laughs> incomplete because uh, the way he writes is very difficult. <laughs> He's in all the, uh, the the Spencerian stanzas. <laughs> I've been I was trying to mimic his um, his elegy to Keats, and I wanted to do an elegy to him, but. <laughs> That's going to take some time to work on. So um, I will do my poets respond to, um, it's also to Club Q. Mm -hmm. Uh, I recently found out I kind of have a loose connection to someone who was there. Oh, Um, really? Hmm. Yeah, I do drag. And and so somebody I did a show with um, wound up moving up there. And uh, she is also a bartender there as well as a drag queen. Mm -hmm. So um, I learned that, yeah, she was there that night. She was there. Uh, She's okay, I assume, though, right? Yeah, yeah, she's yeah, okay, good. but obviously, you know, recuperating. So yeah, there's, there's sure. a lot of good fun. Yeah, I mean, your life changes right forever with that kind of trauma, that kind of event. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I uh, I did a villanelle called uh, "We Just Wanted to Dance," and uh, the title and the inspiration for this came from um, a meme that people have been sharing. The original picture actually was spread around. Uh, I think it was a Robert Maplethorpe picture that somebody posted. And it was uh, in tribute to the Pulse victims, but people re-edited it and um, shared it for Club Q as well. So that's where uh, the title came from. We just wanted to dance and possibly experience romance. So please let us live another day. Trans, NB, lesbian, ace, bi, gay. In the club, you can't tell with one glance. We just wanted to dance. The runway is the only place we want to slay. To be themselves, every kid should have a chance. So please, let us live another day. Our stories are being legislated away. My politicians, the NRA, chooses to finance. We just wanted to dance. If fear and hatred are here to stay, how can our society ever advance? So please let us live another day. Allies, it's time for you to take a firm stance. We don't want sympathy or for you to pray. We just wanted to dance. So please, let us live another day. Yeah, great villanelle. Excellent use of the form and the uh, the repetition there. Thanks for sharing that, Jen. Yeah, thank you. Yep. That's Jennifer Lee Swang with uh, We Just Wanted to Dance, another timely, important poem. Um, let's go next to uh, Barbara Tyler. Yes, I'm here. Hey, Barbara, how you doing? Mm-hmm. Okay, how are you, Tim? Good. It's a great night of poetry for sure. Yes, and thank you for interviewing Rick because I also am a graphic designer or was a graphic designer. Oh, excellent. So, do, you, do you find that it influences your poetry? It's had a, the same kind of effect of, of sort of minimalism and, and in the, being oh, yes. conscious of that, yeah? Yes, definitely. Well, very cool. It's about balance and editing, yes. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Well, what is it that you'd like to share? Um, it's the one I sent called Covered. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I the prompt a couple of weeks ago i listened to a podcast called um the history of literature with jack wilson and they did an episode called the secret life of emily dickinson dickinson's editor oh i've kind of, I heard of that somebody so, else was talking about that yeah that sounds really interesting yeah mm-hmm. it's really good so this is kind of where i got that and then i thought oh it works well for for this one too yeah go ahead covered i've written poems covering so many subjects that i now say I wrote a poem about that when any of these subjects pop up during polite conversation. But to this day, no one I'm conversing with ever replies, I'd like to read that. 
as our dialogue continues, and my writing remains unseen and unheard, safe, in some Emily Dickinson-style upper room desk drawer. Not quite locked away, but hidden all the same from the vast number of people who dislike poetry. Yeah, great point. Yeah, very important um, and perfect for uh, for Rick as a guest, too, because he kind of cuts through all that kind of thing. Yeah, thanks so much for sharing that, Barbara. You're welcome. Thank you. Yep, have a good night. This is Barbara you Tyler too. with Covered. Um, let's go to um, uh, Vianti Rangan. Hi, Tim. Hi, how you doing? Good. This is partly a prompt poem. Uh, it's called, Really? One Favorite oh, Poet? I can definitely relate to that. I was th- I was trying to think, like in the shower, and in my car... Like who would who would I pick? And I I don't know. But anyway, let's hear let's hear your uh, interpretation yeah, of that difficulty. It's so difficult. <laughs> it really is. Yeah. Yeah. So here it goes. Easy to understand poems are the key. The vines with the wraparound hug close to my brain waves. A metaverse where I have a dialogue with a stranger, a go-to poet to ink the words. Um. One second. Whispered, slammed, emoted. Is it Katie Bickham or Nicole Garcia? Is it Westheimer's uh, lines or the psyche of 10 words with more meaning than a religion? The prompt poems with finesse as though brushed by a paleontologist to preserve the fine grain. The Vedic chants of repeats the villanelles with the reincarnation. When I hear my favorite poet read out a piece, I cannot comment on it, for I'm caught up in the moment, and by the time I type, I stir with a new twinkling. My favorite remains the rattlecast poet with freshness, variety, and inclusion from the incarcerated to the neurodiverse with a sprinkle of indigenous and six-year-olds, my MFA classmates and faculty. Oh, that's wonderful. Thanks so much for sharing that. Um, great descriptions of the, of the different kinds of poetry, too. I love that. Um, and uh, definitely can use that for, uh, for marketing and publicity for the show. So I appreciate <laughs> it. Thanks, Yanti. Thanks. Yeah, have a good night. Um, that was Yanti uh, Rodgan with um, one, really one favorite poet. Let's go jump quick to Mike Bales. Uh, good evening. Um, I caught a little bit of Courtney on Rattlecast 51. Uh-huh. She was awesome. Yeah, she, um, she was, yeah. And it, it takes a period of time to know to know to um my to more, call someone my favorite poet of all times. She is really good. I could name different people from Rattlecast. Uh, my thoughts went back for a favorite poet went back to two people I actually saw read at the the Spectre Poetry Reading event in Rock Island. Mm-hmm. Two people I've met and I followed some. The one I chose was Carol K. Pagel, who I think were teaches at the Poetry Center in Cleveland. And I reread a poem of hers that was in the New York of in one of her two books that's called Mausoleum. So I did a poem based on her poem mausoleum i said that 
email to you that to you i think last monday mm-hmm. yeah i got it right here yeah yeah another okay. another poet i've never uh never heard of so it's cool she's, to uh, she's be someone to follow she's pretty good yeah very cool so, uh for carol pagel pagel stopping by aunt Vi's gra- grave on the hill it is just as i remembered green lush and on a quiet path just above the bottom of the hill the breeze is soft the land still on the north side of town. Two headstones together are bound. My aunt, who I called by, and her husband Clay, as they share share this plot. Although no one else is near, I speak in a reverent voice. It's the right thing to do for this time and place. I make small talk, but mostly it's for myself, so I can remember the best of moments spent together. I can say that I love her, but maybe it's too late. And if I talk about the weather, it's a cliche. But I feel a deep sense of longing to tell others the story of her life and what she still means to me. And it's spring again, the trees surrounding me lush, and a stream beyond the hedge forever flows. Excellent. Yeah, thanks so much for sharing that. So what is it about um, um, Carol Padgill that makes her your favorite poet? Um, Boy, it's hard to analyze things. I think she's just a gracious thing in her first book the experiments i i should like after i tried like after i died she had a weird connection between life and and life after mm-hmm. um it's kind of the way she structures her poem a little bit of that kind of tie that it's really a toss-up between her and another poet named dora malik mm-hmm. interesting well yeah two poets for me to check out thanks so much for sharing those mike okay thanks yep have a good night so i'm mike bales with a uh, to carol Pagel. Um, or stopping by Aunt V's grave, I should say. On the and uh, last but not least is uh, Brent Stoffer. And I'm sorry, Brent, to have you go last. I kind of like you having like I love you being like in bowling. It reminds me of bowling. Um, we used to call the the bowler at the end was the anchor, and it was because yeah. like because I think I think I do the handicap. Like if you were like like winning, then you would just like throw the game to lower the handicap or something, and then. And then if you were like, if you had to get a good game, then the anchor would come through, something like that. I can't remember. But you're the anchor yeah. for the Rattlecast. So thanks for... Oh, that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> thanks for being here. So what do you got you for know, you? I used to, I used to um, swim competitively and in relay races where you have uh, four different people all you know, swimming one after the other. All, the person who did the very last leg of the race was also the anchor. Ah, oh, there you go. Yeah, there. That's a yeah. name. That works better than bowling, I think, because yeah. I don't really understand what why it mattered who went in order. But there was some reason <laughs> that we always put our best bowler at the end. Um, so, yeah. so what is the what's your poem about? Uh, it's a, oh, it looks like okay. A, uh, well, yeah. Well, once again, uh, or, or like a lot of people, uh, specifically one person I can think of, I don't really have a f- favorite poet. Um, but I was thinking about poets that really uh, blew me away and changed the way that I looked at the world. And uh, one of those uh, is Tomas Transtromer or Traumer. I'm not yeah, sure I don't how, know to, how say. to pronounce it either. Actually, I saw, yeah. a, I saw a, a, a tweet and somebody who speaks that language said, um, you all pronouncing it wrong. And it was nothing like any of my guesses. <laughs> That's all I remember. <laughs> Okay. So, well, anyway. I, I'm I'm sure he would forgive us because mm-hmm. uh, because it's his work that matters. Definitely, yeah. And um, 
so and it was uh robert has has translated a lot of his work and he used to do a series called lunch poems and um that's where i ran across it about 10 years ago um but uh anyway so here's a poem uh, inspired by tomas transtrom <clears throat> a transtromer day I tucked a few transformer lines into my velvety jacket pocket, and now the streets don't seem so terrible. The bundled up folk trundle quickly around me on all the sides. Most have an air of intent, determined faces suspended between hat and coiled scarf. Sure, the pavement's gray, and the sidewalks a lighter gray, and the skies a darker gray. But to me and Tomas, they're the colors of an old whale shouldering through the deep or those flecks floating in the irises of a loved one's squinting eyes. His words held close to the heart, sing quietly in the blood in unheard chorus. Unseen images crisscross the hidden rooms of the sleepy occipital lobe like smoky spotlights. A lady all in black bumps my elbow hard looks up with shock and shame, but keeping up with the hectic flow of bodies is swept away before I can take her hand and say, that's all right. We're family. Uh, excellent as always. Thanks so much for sharing that. And, and what is, uh, uh, let me ask you too, what is it about Transtromer that you like in particular? Um, I think it's the, it's the, uh, the deep images and the, the, uh, the way that his, the connection of his images seems to come from a really deep, almost ancestral or unconscious mm -hmm. place. Yeah, um, they're very, they're very startling images, but they totally make sense in in a in a way that's almost sub uh, lingual. Interesting. Yeah, like yeah, I think I, I think I think. It's, I think it's one of the reasons that his poems translate so well. Yeah, that's a good and point. Why he's so popular around the world in mm -hmm. other countries, because it's 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 less. I mean, I would love to be able to to hear how they sound in in a, um, in a Swedish. Wait, is that where he's from? Yeah, see, I don't even know. Anyway, <laughs> I was trying to hide the fact yeah, throughout would, the I, whole uh, yeah. the whole discussion, but no, I'm but, not sure. <laughs> I think, I think he's from. Isn't that where they do the Nobel prizes? Stockholm, yeah. Mm -hmm. Anyway, it doesn't matter. It's, uh, uh, but he's. Um, so I think it's less about the sound, and more about um, the the uh, essential content mm -hmm. with him. Yeah, that's a great observation. I think you're you're probably right too. Very cool. Thanks for uh, for sharing that, Brent. Hey, yeah. thanks for having me, yep. Tim. Take care. Have a good, good night. Good to see you. Yep. Bye-bye. You too. And that is uh, the end of the Zoom rings. That was Brent Stoffer with a, a Transtromer Day. So let me shut off the Zoom. And then we have a couple more poems people sent in. We'll go through really quickly what we can. We have too many. I can't, I'm not going to get through all of them tonight because I got to get, it's already 26 after the second hour. Let's do, um, I'm just going to do the first time shares or the people I haven't shared in a while. This is, um, we'll do two more, I think. This is uh, um, Belinda Rate, And uh, 
This poem, she says, my, my favorite poet is Brian Bilston. Here's the poem I wrote inspired by him. And this is Enough Stuff. So here we go with this one. Um, enough Stuff. I think we'll do this in one more. So this is uh, um, Brian Bilston, Enough Stuff. Here we go. When did stuff become a thing? This need to have so much, to stuff our houses and ourselves full of stuff, stuffing it into every nook and cranny. Then we forget where we stuffed it. So we go out and buy more of the same, stuffing it all in, stuffing ourselves full, constantly thinking about or talking about or buying or cooking stuff to stuff our faces with, except for some strange reason. It never seems to fill us up. We still feel empty, and we keep needing more, more and more stuff. Stuff has become synonymous with wealth showing off, elf on the shelf, Instagram doesn't work without stuff. You're stuffed if you don't have enough stuff to keep up with the Joneses so that you can tell them to get stuffed. Being stuffy means that the only way you know how to express yourself is through the stuff that you have whilst being a stuffed shirt. Being stuffy and being huffy often go hand in hand. Every time something comes along that knocks the stuffing out of us, the only thing that makes us feel better is to go out and consume more stuff. I wonder when we will re realize that it's all stuff and nonsense. And that's a great poem. That was a, I love the rhythms and the repetition of that, too. That was Belinda Raitt with uh, Enough Stuff. And uh, a great poem, too, for uh, Thanksgiving. In, uh, I'm not sure if, um, if um, Belinda is American because... Uh, uh, you know, some of the um, British spellings in there, but, but for the American Thanksgiving, um, there's a little too much stuffing for sure. And then, and then the, uh, all the shopping afterwards, a great poem for uh, this time of year. Thanks for sharing that Belinda. And, uh, let's do one more. And uh, this is Katie Dozier's poem. Um, this is, um, prayer for my favorite poet. And she doesn't say who the favorite poet is. So let's, uh, let's check it out. The prayer for my favorite poet. Prayer for my favorite poet. He sits without the energy to wave away the rain, gripping a chewed-up pencil, too shy for the permanence of pens. This park shakes out strangers like the leaves on turning barren trees as he scribbles on a legal pad jettisoned with raindrops. He writes toward what he cannot reach, wedged between the highest branches of an oak. He tosses aside an umbrella, like an analogy, in the pursuit of what is instead of what it's like it started as a blight as a benched haiku and bloomed into a sonnet a crown sprouted from blunt lead but he crumpled it up instead oh great poem that's about um uh, all the unwritten poets a great poem for today too because we're talking about talking to rick lupert um about um, his experience with poetry and all he does to bring poems out. Sorry, I'm trying to get the size right there. That was Prayer for My Favorite Poet by Katie Dozier. Thanks so much for sharing that, Katie. And um, let's see. Yeah, we're just, we have, there's six more people left. I'll read some of these poems tomorrow or next week. Uh, or um, if you can be here, um, share them next week uh, yourself on the open lines. But, um, but it's, it's getting late. So I'm going to really quickly do the Saiku for this week. And this week's Saiku is right here. Um, this is inspired by this article, and I couldn't read the actual study, which I kind of wanted to because I was wondering who, would, who funded it. But um, the article, this is from um, Edith Cowan University in Australia, and the study is right here. Let me uh, put it so you can actually see it. Um, 
Okay. Put the kettle on. How black tea and other favorites may help your health later in life. Thanks to flavonoids, a daily cuppa could help you enjoy better cardiovascular health late in life. However, if you're not a tea drinker, there are other things you can add to your diet. And so they looked at, um, at people's health and specifically a, um, their abdominal aortic calcification and then gave them surveys uh, and asked them how much tea they drank basically throughout their lives. And they found that the people who uh, drank a lot of tea had much better um, lower levels, I guess, of abdominal aortic calcification, which is a huge indicator of a lot of bad things happening. And so, um, so, so your heart's much healthier, supposedly, if you drink tea. But not only tea. There's flavonoids and a lot of different things. Tea is just like a big dose of it. So, um, so, so drink your tea, I guess, is the, the uh, story of this article. And, um, and the Saiku was this right here. Hoping she stays warm tea. It's a one-line haiku. Hoping she stays warm tea. That is your Saiku for the week, and that is the show for the week. Now, um, this week's prompt coming up, and this is a prompt. I'm going to do it in the voice of, um, of Rick Lupert, because this is actually his writing the first person prompt. Um, I have a writing prompt, Rick says, called I Will Die on This Hill, which I thought up in the shower in Maryland a couple days ago. The idea is to either write a list poem of choices, each line choice ending with a line, and I will die on this hill. Could be funny, like, a bar of soap is better than any kind of body wash, and I will die on this hill. Or heavier things. Another option is to write a longer poem detailing a choice which ends with a line. So, so basically, the prompt for this week is to uh, cram your poem full of the phrase, or at least have it once, I will die on this hill, and then do what you can with that. Um, I can imagine what Rick might do with that, which is um, which what makes it funny already. But thanks so much for sharing that, Rick. That is the prompt for next week. Next week's guest is going to be um, right here. It's uh, Joan Kwan Glass. Um, her book came out last year, Night Swim. Um, wonderful book. She was uh, a poet we've published a couple times in Poets Respond. Um, that is Radicast number 171, uh, Monday, December 5th, the regular time, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific, and that I Will Die in This Hill prompt. Hope to see you then. Hope you have a great week in the meantime, and I will talk to you later. Good night. Good night.